0: personality and beyond. Just as uh, Jimmy was uh, walking in just now, I was reminded of a retreat two or three years ago in uh, Bodhgaya, India. One of the participants uh, on the retreat was rather uh, elderly uh, person from Germany who was about uh, 70 years of age he was uh, travelling around India and he was blind, completely blind in an inquiry with him one afternoon I asked him what was the cause of the loss of his eyesight just as uh, uh, Jimmy has lost a large percentage of his eyesight and he said to me that he was conscripted into Hitler's army when he was about 16, 17 years of age and then he said we were fighting on the front line and one of your countrymen i.e. an Englishman threw And hand grenade at me and it landed just in front of me and in one second it, the shrapnel from the hand grenade exploding took out both eyes completely and that was the last moment I saw anything when he was 17 years of age it was his first time in India And he said to me, it's rather ironic, it quite touched my heart at at the time, brought a tear to my eye. He said, it's quite ironic that 50 years previously, more than 50 years previously, an Englishman took out my eyes. 50 years later, it's an Englishman teaching me to see. Sometimes one hears those unforgettable uh, one-liners in life. Very wonderful man. And just as uh, uh, Jimmy with a uh, disability of eyesight, when coming into the meditation hall, used exactly the same form. The hand resting on a meditator's shoulder to see the way, guide the way in and out. In Dharma language, there is often reference to relative and ultimate. For those of you who are relatively new to all of this language, it might be better understood in a more familiar way to us. Relative, amongst the ways that you and I can speak of it, means personality. Ultimate, that not confined, nor limited, nor inhibited by personality. Personality and beyond. In coming into and participating in an environment uh, such as this, there is, sometimes exaggerated in the Vipassana community, much attention and much interest in the actual condition of our personality as it reveals itself. And with the various objects that we attend to, breath, and body, and sound, we also notice during the unfolding of the day, features of the personality keep arising. And we not only have strong human interest in our own personality and how it's showing itself as it were to ourself, but also in equally with others, and how our personality is perceived or conceived to be with others. And if we're honest with ourselves, a fair bit of our thoughts and our feelings and our views and our activity seems to, often far too much, but seems to revolve around interpersonality or interpersonal issues. Some of the tears that you've shed over these days is how you perceive yourself or how you feel others perceive you or how someone has been perceived that you like or dislike or whatever. So it keeps coming in and not surprisingly we want to know how to deal with aspects and features of what's going on in our mind, i.e. in our personality. How many times when you come to uh, uh, see the teachers, the number of sentences which start with how. We're infatuated with how. And so we hear and we use the word how then some methodology to achieve some desired end which will change the personality from a painful one or a difficult one into an easier one a more relaxed mode we have perhaps in the short term some benefit we apply the method We feel more relaxed. Personality politely shuts up for a little while. Only to find that some new feature of the personality arises. That needs attending to. And then again, we're back into providing, or that we, the teachers, providing method to try to deal with that and so that we want to, we find ourselves wanting to extend the period of time of a personality which cooperates with our self-view, how we want to be, and experience the good benefits of that, and then having to face the disturbances when the personality shows not very nice features and they pop out hopefully others don't see too much of it, uh, but the poor old self still has to deal with it. So this activity in the internal life goes on and on, quiet to agitated, agitated to quiet, day in and day out, and so our world and what matters in our world is really what's mattering in our personality In others' personalities and the interaction between the two. I think we'd probably agree. It's a pretty small view of existence. Sometimes I get concerned. Concern is a polite English understatement for appalled. at the amount of attention that in making the person of ourself the object, how much we find keeps going into that. And when we look at the dynamic of all of that, in a kind of impersonal light, it seems like in the structure of the personality, the glue, the sticky factor which goes along with it, problematic personality here, is the eye and some sticky gooiness that goes on, which latches on to some kind of mental, emotional, psychological activity. And when the glue is stuck for that period of time or that moment, the outcome of it seems to be a conclusion which we draw which says, starts off so often I am. And in the I am we add a little sequence and that consolidates the I with the state of mind, and the two get glued together. And therefore we say, I am, and then we add. And this we say, is the personality, is how I am. This is what I am like. This is what's going on with me. We consolidate it, we feed it, we talk about it, we describe it, we judge men, we judge it, we look for answers to it, but whatever we do, we still keep consolidating and gluing together, I am this. So, sometimes, as as, uh, Andrew was pointing out so uh, insightfully the other uh, evening, the self gets into that kind of box and we get boxed in and it occurred to me in listening to the nine point box that he described it would be lovely if it was just nine dots (laughs) but for some it's not nine dots it's nine nails and the box is the coffin of the self locked in. Utterly persuaded and convinced that the I and the event of personality are uh, uh, bound up together and that's the way it is. So unsticking this, ungluing this isn't easy and the other aspect which goes on with us is that though the personality isn't enough the I, not only is I am going along with it but I have and the I have makes an ownership And it believes in that ownership. It makes an ownership of the past. It says to oneself, and poor teachers, (laughs) it says, I have all this stuff inside of me. I have all these patterns and habits and tendencies going on inside of me. And when we say it, since there is feeling going with it, it feels to be true, it seems like it's true, we believe it, and we've managed to persuade everybody else that that's how it is, and that's how it is for everybody else. Wouldn't it be an extraordinary thing in this seeing this I arise, and taking the formation of I am and really asking is that true reality or is it the I and the state of mind have made this to matter has the I in conspiracy dare I say with the state of mind brought the two together, glued them together, and in the gluing of it together, made it all to matter. Has the I, in relationship to the past, or relationship to the impossible view to resolve, which says, I've got all this going on in me. Because the view, I have all this going on in me, given the view and the sheer frequency of its arising in our life, can never be resolved. One can never come to an end of that view if we believe in it. Because the mind makes a habit of it. And every time there's a little ripple in the consciousness, a little upheaval in the mind, the eye and the view comes in extraordinarily quickly and it says well there I are, I've got all this stuff going on with me, here's the proof. And one has this terrible image left, lingering image, that there's one's poor pathetic little consciousness <laughs> utterly at the receiving end persecuted victimised by the past which is just waiting like vultures to leap on the consciousness and make one's life utterly miserable. (laughs) And one is trying to fend it all off by being mindful. something goes on in which having and the thought of having seems to be reinforcing the self, the state of mind called past, called the old, called the karma, called the unconscious, called the habit, called the pattern, called the uh, memory or whatever we want to refer to it the eye latching onto that in its having ownership mode and or describing personality in terms of what I am. When all of that isn't enough to be going on with, the eye in its dissatisfaction with personality will keep perceiving not only having and what one is, but also will keep perceiving what one isn't. And thus, the personality is once again reinforced in which one says, this who I am or this personality isn't enough. One sees lacking, absence, missing, not present or whatever, and therefore there's a view which says I need to have this and cultivate this and bring out this in the personality. So has got all this personality to go on with, and each time you and I look and say, well, I don't like this feature of the personality then we conclude not not liking this then I want something better which I'll like more and one tries to drag or develop or bring that out so we become a prisoner to the perception of personality in the past a prisoner of personality uh, to the present I am and the prisoner to the conception of how I would like to be in the future because this isn't enough and I want to make more of this, whatever it might be. And sometimes the practice here can keep feeding this, keep feeding it, and the effect of which is that the self, that is the I, the feeling of I, the notion of I, the concept of I, the view of I, the feeling of me, whatever, keeps reinforcing this as if what we are doing here is rather exclusively given to attending to personality. it's not the priority and sometimes because we can see perhaps some sense of inward life is getting a little easier you may have looked at the past so, well before I began practice I was like this, this, this and this since I began practice I've really felt some genuine help and benefit and feel more comfortable with myself I'm less hard on myself less judgmental feel I can handle the fears and the anxieties better I don't get so angry over things etc etc and so naturally and usefully and beneficially there is some genuine sense of progress which is taking place, but to understand, all progress only takes place in the mind. It only takes place in the personality. There's no progress outside of it. And what happens is, of course, the self loves this feeling of making progress. so the outcome of this idea that one is making progress gives one a sense that one is as it were evolving as a human being and that one is going from hopefully more difficult states of mind to less difficult states of mind to an easier way of mind and some as Shada was pointing out so eloquently last night in the Evening Talk, begin to realise that lifestyle, the outer, and the state of mind are not separable, inseparable, but uh, separated from each other, that one gives mutual support from the, for uh, uh, the other in various ways. And so some of you, I don't like side- sidestep for a moment, do need to make real attention to personality and the world that we live in, and the Im- mutual impact of both, and be willing to make hard decisions about that. So some recognise that, that the outer and inner have a relationship. But just to go back to what I was saying, in the movement that takes place, because the self, the I, loves the feeling of progress and development, it's willing to accept that sometimes it's two steps forward and one step back, it does nevertheless give some sense of nourishment, worthwhileness and validity to keeping up the practice in a developmental model to have the feeling of going somewhere. We have often, helpfully, usefully, transferred the model of the way of life into spiritual practice as a support In other words, we've liked the idea, we've attracted the idea of, in education, attracted to the idea of making progress going up the ladder in our career, uh, etc., whatever it might be. And the same reference point then enters, usefully, helpfully, in the inner life, that sometimes we see certain signs and signals, aha, I'm making progress and development. The word in the Dharma world which we have come to adopt with that is practice. And the notion of practice becomes one of the key threads and themes in the teachings but nevertheless practice is only related to one thing states of mind. Only related to one thing expressions of the personality and working with it. And some, some of you, in the attendance to that, for those who have given an incredible amount of time to their practice, with the various threads and themes of mindfulness that go, and awareness that go along with it, will find, some of you report this regularly enough, that there's a limit to developing oneself. Not so much in the sense of there's never any we can reach a place where there's no longer need to work on ourselves. If any human being says in that in life, I, I've reached the end of practice, I have no need to work on myself. (laughs) This person is living in cloud cuckoo land. (laughs) And that is an insult to cuckoos. (laughs) Nevertheless, a person who keeps doing their practice, 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 will sooner or later, have to begin to feel naturally, I'm using the word naturally here, some dissatisfaction with an idea which the self has taken up and got stuck with, that we're going in a linear direction from past to present to future developing a line of practice and keeping strictly with it. The sense, naturally, of limitation of that will have to come in. Nobody can keep on practice, 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 consistently trying to better and improve the personality, etc., etc., it would be an extraordinary thing to lose the interest in improving oneself. It would be an extraordinary thing to say that is not the great priority of the Dharma. If that is to take place in any authentic and genuine way the idea of practice and the kind of uh, temperature we might say that we give to it may have to be lowered it may be necessary as well to lower the interest on self and the mind and being engaged in a self-improvement activity What would it be to let the self, as it were, lose its substance? What I mean by that is not carrying this incredible burden in life of what I, ha- what I have, mean, from the ogre I'm carrying, what I am like, personality-wise, in the present, and what I would like to be in the future. What would it be to say, no interest? Not concerned. Not concerned at all. It's not the priority. Not practiced, not the priority. For some, Even hearing that, for some, will have an unsatisfactory impact. Some will say, well, what the hell's the point of being here if I'm not here to improve myself? What's the point of going into this hell realm called the meditation hall? (laughs) Several times a day, if I'm not here to develop something can cultivate something and be more mindful from one day to the next, etc. And therefore, it could have an impact in shaking up trust in practice, trust in the Dharma, trust in seeing, trust in mindfulness, etc. And therefore, for some, it will be far too early to question the upholding of practice as the central principle in the Dharma. But for others, there may be an interest and a willingness to say the eye and what it latches onto in the mind is just a minor detail in the field of existence. It isn't that significant And therefore perhaps instead of being so interested as so many Vipassana meditators are in mindfulness of the object and mindfulness of the body and mindfulness of thought and mindfulness of the personality and mindfulness of the emotions and mindfulness of the listening that maybe if we take much less interest in all of that and the personality unfolding with it Maybe it might be an indicator to us that awareness ultimately has to go elsewhere. Has to go elsewhere. And therefore, even though, as it were, in the path of things, objects of awareness seem to matter how we relate to them the insights and discoveries that can come from observing them we can learn a great deal about ourselves a great deal uh, about what this coexistence with who I am or who I think I am etc. But somewhere in all of this it may be time for some to look differently. That perhaps what's genuine and truly authentic is not in anything to do with who I think I am. Got nothing to do with what I have what I think I'm carrying from the past and all of that, where I would like to be and how I would like uh, to, to, to be, it's just the movement linking and attaching to something of called past, to something of present and, and future, and the eye keeps doing it, and it keeps doing it, and it will go on doing it till we're pushing up the daisies. and so what? Therefore, it's as if we have to either look totally outside of personality and forget ourselves as that or same message we have to look through the fiction of it. As the Buddha said personality, ask what is personality, he says it's a mirage, it's a deceit, it's an illusion it's a made up world it's pictures it's images that's all it is, it never, never could be anything else there's no reality to personality it's a, a, a conjurer's trick it's an eye and fluctuations of images and thoughts and memories and and habits without any substance to it and all appearing and dissolving in various forms, lasting, not lasting or whatever. What has it got to do with anything real? Anything authentic. Yet we're bewitched with it. We, the self, we, the I, is fascinated with it. and and it's a, a spell on the consciousness and therefore the Dharma teachings are not to perpetuate the spell of personality but to see the fiction of it therefore I say sometimes we look outside of it no interest in who am I or what am I or how am I or how do I appear to others or or, or any of that. Not interested in how I appear to myself, or how I think of myself, or how I know myself, or what, whatever. Not interested in it. We've done that for, for, for years. A lifetime has been spent doing that. We've gone to the professionals who helped us to do all that, and we say, Not interested. So it's a kind of putting aside. the forgetfulness of all that I call me. This then begins to give a little whisper, just a little intimation of that which is true, authentic, ever steady and which is worth realising and discovering and being utterly at home with. there are some of us in the hall who have looked at the personal life long enough far too long in some cases and hopefully you're tired of it (laughs) Buddha says lovely line he says one becomes weary of the activity of the eye. Weary, bored with it, just and I think it reminds us in the Dharma to a forgetfulness of for the sake of a remembrance of. And even if it leaves us rather weird and strange sense of okay, personality is just as the Buddha said, it's just like he said once it's like an onion you can peel it, unpeel it, unravel it you cry about it and you unravel it <laughs> and when you've finally unraveled it, you get to the centre, there's nothing there <laughs> remember this when you're cutting the vegetables tomorrow <laughs> So sometimes we look at all the unravelling of it all. It may leave us with some strange, odd, unfamiliar sense of not knowing what to do or where to go or if one hasn't got any object to attend to. Yet, Dharma teachings while acknowledging so called objects in this world, are actually to realize the true nature of things is actually objectless. Objectless. The movement of the self with the consciousness in its movement from this side, called the subject. doesn't create this, but the movement makes this, of the subject, the consciousness, makes it an object. Not an object, of itself, it's made an object by the subject, the consciousness, the self arising. And if you look at any situation in your life, where there's suffering, there's an object. Can't have a situation in life of dukkha, of suffering, of unsatisfactoriness without something known or unknown, familiar or unfamiliar, as an object for the consciousness to get unhappy about. And that world is the human imprisonment that spell is a human imprisonment and dharma teachings are to break it, to be out of the spell. Therefore, this is not an object, it just is what it is. Dharma teachings are just relatively consciousness to the object not easy to follow now I uh, realise and some of you lost me half an hour ago never mind (laughs) sometimes when the consciousness of the object and there's not so much interest in object I'm making the primary one personality tonight perhaps there is a receptivity in the consciousness which is obscured hidden, blinded by the features of the self and the personality and making development and progress or not getting anywhere. And when we're really, genuinely not interested in it, could consciousness then be receptive in a completely different way, a beautifully sweet way, which is truly illuminating and the self, the I, has nowhere to go. But it can't say I have, and it can't say I am, and it can't say I want, because any of that is a movement straight back into the mind. And we're kind of humbled by existence. What we want cannot, what we see cannot be found in what's in front of us. therefore, there is a, a kind of um, uh, an abiding awareness that the I am and have and want seems and is utterly superfluous because it perpetuates the mirage, the fiction. And perhaps in that receptivity there's some sense of something without any measurement to it the self only knows measuring measures the day measures the hour measures the moment measures the personality measures the good, the bad, the right, the wrong measures the day, measures the week measures the life cutting up, cutting up, chopping up picking out, putting back backwards and forwards utter waste of one's existence so sometimes when we let all of that just drop out of our interest the receptivity there may show something indivisible, unmeasured. The self just doesn't know what to make of it. And therefore, ultimate things really matter. And we may not know how is it, we may not even be able to explain how is it this ultimate objectless realisation how is it that that seems to benefit the personality relatively how is it that those who know that which has no measurement who haven't colluded as it were lost in the ramifications of the self and personality Somehow it brings something expansive and spacious and clear and steady to the personality. But it does. So when we attend to finding this which knows no measurement, we may, as I said, just look through personality and without regard we may look, as it were, outside of personality and perhaps there there's a sense of that which is indivisible. So indivisible is the true reality of things that the minor event called our birth and our death don't impinge. Won't make any difference. Won't take anything away from us. That's the beautifully sweet thing about it that it can't be taken away because it's authentic and it's authentic because it's steady and the truth is steady in a, in a way which no event in this entire universe can change the nature of so we attend minimally to object, appropriately for a little while but not making practice and progress and development the centre of what the Dharma is. Dharma teaching is a teaching to know and be with the immeasurable. Then we have come home. May all beings see into life. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings be at home with the immeasurable.